Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. Man, so glad you're here. Man, as you can see, man, uh, the service is really full. If you can scoot in just a little bit and uh, we can make some room for some people that are coming in and possibly looking for some places. I'm excited. Thank you guys for praying for us as we're, man, getting ready to uh, process and get everything from the land. Last week, uh, I have a mayor. With, I have an appointment with the mayor this uh Thursday at 7 o'clock to talk about some tree challenges that we're facing with the, with the property. So we got to get the trees moved and see what we can work with that. So if you remember, pray Thursday, 8 o'clock, that God would give us favor with that meeting. That would be awesome. Like, man, you, you can't look at a video like that and not ask your neighbor the question. So ask him, tell him this. It looks like you've been lifting. And so some of you are like, Pastor B, I can't lie in church. My, it don't look like my neighbor's been lifting. I'm being honest with you. So if that's you, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him this. Uh, do you even lift, bro? Tell him. We're starting a brand new series this morning called Do You Even Lift, bro? And the phrase came when years ago in different weightlifting forums, people would start having disagreements about certain weightlifting routines. They needed to do to build up muscle and get gains, and people would share all kinds of opinions, and people would eventually respond to these forums by asking the question, like, do you even lift? Like, do you even do this? Like, why are you giving that advice? It doesn't make sense. And if you show up at the gym, and you're just walking around, taking selfies, drinking protein drinks, and not really doing anything, you're just talking to everybody else. Everybody has one of those people in your gym right now, and it's coming to your head. Eventually, somebody's going to ask them, do you even lift, bro? Are you here to make gains or are you here to make friends? Do you even lift, bro, has been such a popular cultural s- saying that it has taken over the Internet with videos and memes. Not only that, there are some memes. He is one of the first memes. I, I like this. Baby, do you even lift, bro? Whose kid is that right there? <laughs> I like this meme, too, with this M. Do you, do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift? But this, uh, this meme is pretty awesome. Check this one. He lifts. He definitely lifts. Oh, and this morning, we're starting our series, Do You Even Lift? And we're going to start this with another gym question like this. Like, what's your max? Next week, we'll be talking about don't skip leg day. Week three, we'll be talking about roid rage, how we can't let anger and bitterness take over our lives. Week four, we'll be talking about no pain, no gain, how we make small steps here to have a fruitful life later, especially when it comes to our finances. But let me ask you a question. What's your max? This is a question that if you've been to any gym, literally men ask other men, women sometimes too, and what they're really saying is, like, how strong are you? Like, how, how really strong are you? Like, people are always asking, what's the max of your, they're kind of talking about your bench press. And according to research, the average man benches between 135 to 175 pounds. And I thought it would be fun to start off the series by asking men in this place, what's your max? Like, let's find out who is the strongest man in Freedom Church up in here. Like, do you even lift? So my question for you this morning is this. Like, what is going to be your max in life? I want to challenge you this morning to max out in life, to push yourself by increasing your capacity. Because if something doesn't challenge you, it's unlikely to change you. 
If we want gains, we need to be challenged. And you build muscle by pressuring it, breaking it down so it'll come back stronger. So this morning, I want to give you five things that you need to do to max out in life. Let me tell you all five things, and I'll break them down later. First thing you're going to need, you're going to need Christ-centered plans. The second thing you'll need is you'll need to build your confidence. The third thing is you'll need to expand your connections. The fourth thing I'm going to challenge you to do is awaken your curiosity. And the fifth thing is increase your commitment. And as I preach this message, I, I want you to understand, maybe just, we can't work on all of them, so find one or two things that God's speaking to you that you need to focus on. And let him speak to you. And that's the thing that's going to take you to the next level. So let's pray. How many of you guys want to be everything that God wants you to be? So let's pray. God, would you just right now challenge us? Lord, we had fun with this game and everything, but Lord, allow us to walk into everything you have for me. Just raise your hands and say, God, I want to live my life to the max for you. Amen. And I want to tell you that if you apply these to every area of your life, you're going to see growth and capacity and gains. See, because according to Jesus in the parable of the talents, that nobody starts off a 10-talent man. Nobody starts off like Nicholas or Javi just benching that. Let me tell you, you got to work out. you got to expand. you got to get your muscles going. And ultimately, you can hit that like nothing. I don't think I can ever, but he can, you know. And, and when we use what God's given us, this is what the Bible says that in the parable of the talent, God keeps adding, expanding, and bringing gains to our life. So let's look at the first thing, Christ-centered plans. Let me just say this. This is the most important thing on the list. If you miss this, you miss everything. You can nail everything else. But if you don't get this, your life will be an epic failure. Because when it comes to Christ-centered plans, nobody breaks it down better than G, then James, the half-brother of Jesus in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. So if you have your Bible, turn with me there. This is what James says. Come now, you say. Today and tomorrow we'll go into such and such town. We'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And circle, underlight, highlight, smiley face this next thing. He asks, what is your life? James is asking the question, what is your life? Like, why are you here? Why do you exist? What's your purpose in life? And if we are going to max out in this thing called life, this gift that God has given us, we've got to understand what life is all about. And James is talking in this context to those people that are planning their lives, those people that are planning the next six days, the next six months, the next six years, the next 60 years of their lives. And he's saying, I got some advice for you. Here's the advice. Verse 14, you, don't know, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, for you are, you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. Like, what? I was expecting something a little bit profound about, like, what's your life? I was expecting James to bust out, like, what's your life? They're like, this is depressing. No wonder him and his brother Jesus didn't get along, right? Like, why are you going to say this? Like, I was expecting James to say, like, you're a child of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You can fulfill everything that God has for you. You should storm the gates of Hades with the power of the Holy Spirit. What is life? That's what life is all about. Not James. James tells us, what's your life? And he says, here it is. There's your life. It's here. Let me show it again. What's your life? There's your life. You were born, went to school, went to college, got married, retired, you died. People said nice things about you, and you smell kind of scenty. There's your life. <laughs> and what James is telling us is this, is that life is short. A couple years ago, 
uh, actually a couple months ago, Jennifer and I took our oldest daughter, Alana, on a trip to New York for her senior year. And while we went there, we went to museums. I love history. I love museums. And these museums, there are all these ex exhibits that represent the great kingdoms of human history. I saw the pharaohs of Egypt, the emperors of Rome, the Persian Empire, the Mongol Empire. Centuries of people now reduced to a few relics and remnants and stories of what used to be. I was standing there, and I could not help but hear the words of James in echo in my head. What's your life? You're a mist that's here, and you vanish. All these kings, all these pharaohs, all these emperors, some of them thought they were gods. They were the most important, most powerful people ever. And today, they vanished off into human history. They were so relevant, but now they've been forgotten. And only a few history buffs even know their names. Or somebody goes to the museum, they read about them for five seconds and forget about them just a couple minutes later. This week, we all heard the tragic news of NBA superstar and global icon Kobe Bryant. He passed away along with his beautiful daughter Gigi and seven other passengers as they were going to a basketball game. This news was so big it took over Super Bowl week. And it hit me in a weird way. I've never ever felt impacted over the death of somebody of our celebrity that, that I didn't really know. And I was beginning to process it. And I think there's several reasons why this death kind of hit me. So he was about my same age. We're both girl dad. Uh, we both have girls. And uh, they're about the same age too. And all, all of a sudden, like growing up, we grew up about the same time, and I'd invite him into my, even though we don't know it, and I'd watch all of his games. And there was just a connection to Kobe Bryant. The whole world had a connection to him. And one of the th tragic things is I think about the life of Kobe Bryant. Like, if you really study it, professional athletes, they don't have plans really after they graduate. Like, their whole life is football or basketball. And, and studies show us that most NFL players and NBA players lose their fortunes by the time they finish playing. But one thing about Kobe Bryant is he had an incredible plan after sports. Not only did he have a great plan, his career, second, he won an academy. He had so many investments. His plans were incredible. He was, happy. He was arguably more successful in his second career than he was his first career. But here's verse 14. This is what it says. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know if you're going to be in an accident. You don't know if you'll come down with cancer or loss or get in a fatal accident. You don't know if you'll have a kid or win the lottery. Our future is beyond our control. And look what James says in verse 13. Let me bring your attention to that. You say today and tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Because you think it's all about profit. You think it's all about the here and now. We live in a culture that's YOLO. Life's all about getting more stuff. But here's what I know. When you're gone, none of the stuff that you have matters it's been said that john d rockefeller when john d rockefeller died his attorney held a press conference see rockefeller was considered the richest man in the u.s history he had an esti it's estimated if you factor in inflation he would be worth 418 billion dollars today so the richest man in the world right now is, is probably bill gates he's worth 108 million dollars so rockefeller was worth probably four times what bill gates was worth and he held a press conference, they came over, all the media came and they asked this question. How much money did Rockefeller left behind? And his attorney famously answered this. He said, all of it. I've been to several funerals and I've never seen a U-Haul uh, behind a hearse. Life is not about getting stuff. But here's the great thing about the Bible. The Bible teaches us that we don't die. 
Do you realize that the death is the second greatest gift that God has given mankind other than his son Jesus? When Adam and Eve sinned, God's perfect world was broken. So God says, one of the things, I'm going to let man's days be short. So God created heaven for us. God said, I'm not going to let them live in a broken world forever. I'm not going to let them live with insecurities and sickness and disease and sin forever. I don't want my people to face betrayal and face rejection forever. So God allowed us to have death here on earth so we can live, leave a broken world and spend eternity with him. See, death is a gift. And James here in this passage is bringing us back to this reality that life goes far beyond our time on earth. That we are not bodies that have a soul. We are eternal souls that for a short mist, a short time, just a little, we'll have a body. And the reason your life on earth counts is this, that you will live forever somewhere. And what you're doing here on earth is going to build a resume for where you spend eternity and how you spend eternity. And if you grew up like I grew up, you grew up with some bad theology. And I remember going to school in a Sunday school classroom, and the Sunday school teacher would come around. He said, boys and girls, heaven is going to be awesome. When we get to heaven, we are going to sing praises to Jesus forever. And I remember being 10 years old and closing my eyes and seeing a giant hymn book that would not shut up. And I thought, this is better than the other option, but only by a slight temperature difference, barely. We have this idea that heaven as equality, that we, when we all get to heaven, we're going to share. That there's God and all of us will be equals. But nowhere does the Bible teach this. In fact, everywhere in the Bible, especially the teachings of Jesus, teach us that heaven is about governing and ruling and hierarchy. Jesus said this, that the least will be the greatest, that the last will be the first. And Jesus was always challenging his disciples to lay up treasures in heaven. Jesus was constantly telling his disciples, he said that you will forever be living off what you did with this. In verse 15, this is what he says, James. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's so important, if the Lord wills. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. As it is. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And here's what James is telling us, that there's no sin in planning out your life, but there is sin in forgetting God in your planning. Saying, God, what is your will? James is not saying that we shouldn't plan. Of course we should plan. We'll never get anything done if we don't plan. But one of the worst sins is to simply this, to forget God in your planning. If you look at the Old Testament, the number one thing that God has against his people is this, you have forgotten me. Over and over, it's what he tells him, you have forgotten me. And the great arrogance of man, the great boast of man is planning your life without God. It's the football coach who uses all season and all training camp and all preseason just to work on the opening drive. He puts all his energy in the opening drive. They start the season. They do that opening drive. It's successful, but he has no other plans afterwards. They're going to get cream. He's going to lose his job. It's the musician who practices for months and months to play that first stanza of the opening song. He perfects that stanza, but after the first stanza, he doesn't know the rest of the song. It's the pastor who memorizes the first three sentences of his message and introduction, but has nothing else to say about after that. When we think about it in that terms, we know, and we would say to ourselves, those people are really dumb. And God is telling us through James, don't be really dumb. He says this, that life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's there, and then it's gone. 
And he's basically telling us that what you do with this is going to echo in eternity. See, there are only two things that you touch on this earth that will last forever. Only two things. And that's people and the word of God. And the problem with most of our lives, I would submit to you, is that our plans are too small and they're too short-sighted. Most of our plans are all about us and all about earth. Our plans should be shaped by the cross. Because if God is as powerful as the resurrection says he is, and if he is as loving as the cross says he is, our plans should reflect the cross. God is too big for us to live so small. And that's what I want to challenge you this morning. If you are going to max out in life, leverage this. Because it's gone quick. Number one, that's the most important thing. Like, for, for some of you, that's what I need to work on right now. That's the thing I need to change. Here's the second thing you need to do. If you're going to max out in life, you've got to build your confidence. How do you know when you're not living to your maximum in life? You, you have what John Maxwell often calls the language of the lid. You know you're hitting a lid when the very words that you speak are proof that your confidence and your calling aren't lining up. You say things like, I can't do this. Uh, Man, I'll never get it done. You speak, you have a fixed mindset. There are not enough hours in the day. I'm not, I just can't do that. I wasn't made for this. It's just too much. And sometimes to boost your confidence, that's what you got to do. You got to change how you talk and how you think. It's what David did. David did this. He encouraged himself in the Lord. You need to build yourself up by encouraging yourself in the Lord. Some of you, let me just say this. You need to change your language from a limit language. language. Some of you guys are speaking lack and limitation over your life. You need to change that limit language to a language of confidence and faith. And that translates to everything in your life. Let me translate it to something very practical. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school. I was in the wrestling team, and we were the five-time district champs. We had not lost a match in two straight years. And uh, I was wrestling behind probably the best wrestler our, our, st- our, our school had. And maybe in the, obviously in the state, he was a three-time state champ. His name was Sean Abrams. And the district match was going to get ready to get started. And Sean is injured. And coach says, I know you're wrestling at 125, but I'm going to bring you up to 130 because you're a best JV wrestler, and you're wrestling for Sean Abrams. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Three-time state champ. First wrestling match. We haven't lost in forever. I, I was there, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't do this. I my, my, Have you ever had that cotton mouth? Your hands are cold. You can't feel your legs. You get out there, and we're getting ready to get to wrestle. And, man, I look at the dude. I'm still going through puberty. The dude was a furry as a grizzly bear. Like, I'm locking up with him, and homeboy is giving me carpet burn from his era. His, uh, like, it's just horrible. Man, I go shoot, uh, I go shoot, man, and it just got carpet burns everywhere. Man, he's killing me. I spend so much time on my back, I can tell you exactly how many lights there were in the gym. But I'm fighting, and it's the third round, and, and coach looks at me. He says, Benito, you got this. I was thinking, I can't do this. I can't make it. And then he said this statement. You've been wrestling with Sean Abrams every day in the gym, and you hold your own. This punk is nothing on Sean. Yeah. That's right. Like, I can wrestle Sean. I'm hanging with Sean. Uh, Izzy knows who Sean is. So I'm saying, yeah, I got this. I'm like, I got Sean, my man. I got this. So I get down there, boom. Dude, you're not Sean Abrams. You're just a furry little man guy. I'm going to go right here. I'm like, so I controlled him, got it rolling, took him down, and I pinned him, and I won my first of many varsity matches. 
And it all happened with how you change your thinking. You got to realize that you can do it. Nobody did this in the Bible better than the Apostle Paul. Paul is always doing this thing. He's always boasting in the Lord. If you read his letters, you'll find out the word boast appears 47 times. 1 Corinthians 1, 31 is one of the ones where it highlights says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When you and I hear the word boast, we think of bragging. But boasting meant something much more, much more profound in the, in the first century. See, before soldiers went to battle, they would boast to each other. They needed encouragement and confidence before the battle because there was a good chance they were going to die. So right before the soldiers would fight, it was a common practice in the first century. They would boast. They would say, we have iron chariots that they don't. We have 10,000 soldiers. They only have 5,000. Man, we have Maximus with here. We have Javi. This guy can bench 325 a bunch of times. They don't. Right, and they were just all pumped up. It was like a football uh, pep talk on steroids. And what this is what boasting does, it gives you confidence to face something. And Paul says, my boast, my confidence is in Christ. It's not in me. And some of you, what you need to do, you need to step, step into what God has for you if you're going to hit your max. It's like what Pastor Craig Joscal says, that every time he preaches, he steps outside of himself, outside of his insecurities, outside of his self-doubt, outside of his personal fears, and he starts stepping into God's calling, God's anointing, and God's purpose into your life. And some of you guys, you got to step into what God says you are. Because you're everything God says you are. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are the light of the world. You are more than conquer. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. God has called you to do good works. And what you need to do is you need to find a confidence, not in yourself, but in Christ. You need to learn boasting. You need to learn to build your confidence. For some of you, your confidence is keeping you away from what God has planned for you. That might be the thing you need to work on. The third thing you need to do is this. You need to expand your connections. John Rowan said this, that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. He said this, this powerful quote. He says, that our health, our attitude, and our income are determined by the five people we spend the most time with. It's like my dad would always tell me. He said, Benito, show me who your friends are, and I'll show you who you are. See, and I want to be around people of faith. I want to be around people who challenge me. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And to sharpen iron, there's got to be resistance. There's got to be tension. You need to have friendships and relationships and mentors that are going to challenge you. I thank God for the friends that I have that push me to go to the next level. See, you might be just one connection, one relationship from your destiny. I love the story of Paul. Paul was a guy who murdered Christians. He felt called to preach, but nobody would give him a chance. Then he met a guy by the name of Barnabas. And God used that door to open up the door for Apostle, Apostle Paul to preach. Barnabas told everybody, I know Paul. I've watched him preach fearlessly. I know you've heard that he's killed Christians. But let me tell you, this guy is the real deal. And because of what Barnabas said for him, Paul was able to walk into his purpose. And one of you, your one relationship, your one connection away from your purpose. Let me tell you, God always uses people to bless you. I can think of my friends. My friends have blessed me. They've been with me. They challenged me. They set the pace for me. So look around you. Look around you. You got to expand your connections in every area of life, not just spiritual connections. I can think of myself. I had hit a rut, a lid when it come to working out. Like I would go into Planet Fitness and I'd get more tired walking in there and I'd serve pizza on the first day, bagels, people just be on their phone texting. Man, have you guys ever gym where you just get discouraged going to that gym? I'm like, ugh. 
So I decided I need to make some changes. So I called my boy, Javi. I said, Javi, dude, I need to work with you, bro. Work out with you. Man, I, dude, I need to change. So I changed my relationship. Let me tell you, this guy kills you. He tells you four more. He's, not the, he's, he's, a, great, he's a great motivator. Man, I get in the gym. Sometimes I don't feel like it. But he's over there saying, man, do it. Do five more. You got, and then after you do five more, give me ten more. And like, I'm no. But, but you need somebody that's going to push you. In every area of life, who's pushing you as a parent? Who's pushing you in your fitness? Who's pushing you in your walk with God? That's why we need to get in life groups. We get in there, and that's the most important place we need to be pushed. Number four, we're going to max out in life. You need to awaken your curiosity. Let me tell you, this is very important. People who are curious are always learning. They're always growing because you know why? They realize they have so much more to learn. Because it's hard to learn anything when you already know everything. People who are curious are humble people. And the older you get and the more successful you get, listen to me, you tend to lose your curiosity because you think you already know everything. According to research, people who are successful in one area of their life think they're experts in every area. They live self-deceived, and just because they've, they've been able to succeed in one area, they think they can succeed in every area. Perfect point in case of this is Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys. He's incredibly successful with oil, with business ventures, with making money, but he knows nothing about football. And every Dallas Cowboy fan can say amen. 25 years of frustration and heartbreak. Man, Super Bowl Sunday, it's more like pizza Sunday for us. We don't even care. See, one of my heroes in life is a man by the name of Tommy Barnett. I don't know if you know him, but he's pastored one of the largest, first mega church, one of the largest churches in the country for, for over 40 years, he's known as a pastor's pastor. Pastors like T.D. Jakes, Brian Houston, Jensen Franklin have all called him their spiritual father and their pastor. They were all inspired in his schools. He is known for his love for people. He founded the Dream Center in Los Angeles, and today there are now 266 Dream Centers worldwide. And several years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I, I had a chance to go down there with a pastor I was working for. He spoke down there, and we went a had a chance to go to dinner with Pastor Tommy Barnett and Pastor Matthew Barnett. We spent the whole afternoon with him. It was an incredible experience walking with Tommy Barnett, going through the Dream Center. We sat down, and we were able to talk. And what blew me away about Pastor Tommy Barnett was this, his curiosity. The dude has 55, ministry, 55 years of experience, fastest growing church. He's asking me questions. So what are you doing? What, what books are you reading? He's writing down. So how are you reading? I was just a youth pastor at the time. And he's asking me question after question. I'm like, please stop asking me questions. I need to ask you questions. This guy was so successful, and he's trying to learn from a little dweeb like me, right? And I'm like, and then at that moment, I realized I got to expand my curiosity. I got to keep on growing, keep on learning, keep on moving forward the most successful people you get they're curious about life and number five this might be 15 to max out on life is you need to increase your commitment i love what ken blanchard wrote about commitment in the one minute manager's book the one minute manager says this quote there's a difference between interest and commitment when you're interested in doing something you do it only when it's convenient but when you're committed to something you accept no excuses there's a big difference between i'm kind of on a diet they're like, hey, I'm, in a, I'm in a competition, I'm going to be working out right here, and I'm going to be, man, just that big difference. There's a big difference. Oh, I kind of go to church, so I'm going to use my gifts and my talents to glorify God, to build God's church. I am committed to building his house. Ten years ago, the very elite Berlin Academy of Music did a study with musicians. 
They divided accomplished violinists into three categories. One was the world-class soloist, high-level performers, number two, and the other were good but unlikely to play professionally. And they found out that all of them played at roughly the same age and practiced the same amount until the age of eight. And that is when the practice time greatly diverged. Researchers found that at the age of of 20, the average players had logged 4,000 hours of practice time. The good violinist had totaled 8,000 hours of time. And the elite professional violinist, 10,000 hours of time. That's where researchers find us that you got to be a professional to be an expert. You got to put 10,000 hours to a given craft. And while there is no denying what they said, that innate ability dictates some of our upside potential, he says, your potential is only reached through commitment. And the study concluded that commitment is the silver bullet, not aptitude. How committed are you? Some of you have been thinking about the idea that I'm going to get out of debt. You can sign up for Dave Ramsey's class. You can get a Dave Ramsey tattoo. But unless you commit, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm not kind of, sort of. We are going to make this our focus. I will leave no debt outstanding unless it's the continual debt of love. This is not a game. I'm going to make a commitment. That's the only way you're going to get out of debt. Some of you, it's time to step up your commitment to God and the church and seeking God. I'm not just going to go to church. I'm just not kind of committed. If you're going to accomplish everything, you've got to say, I'm not a consumer. I'm a contributor to the kingdom of God. I'm not here just to be in a cruise ship. I want to be part of a battleship. I want to serve when three strands come and helping families get connected. I want to serve with city outreaches. I want to mentor kids at Williamson County. I want to be part of what God's doing. I want my life to count. And commitment is the thing that separates us. For some of you, you've got to up your commitment in marriage. You say, I, I, I'm committed to this. We're going to go to counseling. I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes till we get this thing right. There's a big difference between I kind of want to do something and I'm committed to it. Increasing your commitment can be the difference between you just living an average life and living God's best for your life. So if you're hitting a lid in your life, if there's a certain area where you just keep... I want you to understand what God has planned for you. That he wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything that you can ask or think. And don't tell me you can't do it. Tell me what your God can do. Because being a Christian is this. It's not what I can do for God. It's about what God wants to do through me. When I have Christ-centered plans. See, Freedom Church, let me tell you, the spirit of the living God is inside of you. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. He can help you with your addiction. He can help you in your job. He can help you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. So I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to ask, which one do you need to do? Maybe one or two of them. I want you to raise your hand and I want you to stand up and we're going to pray. This should speak to everybody. And don't try to do all five. What are one or two? Because if you try to do all five, you won't do all five. But what are one or two of these things that you're going to do this year? Here, first one. God's speaking to you to have Christ-centered plans. Your plans, they need to be more Christ-centered. They're too small. Just raise your hand right there. You need to change your plans. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Those of you who raise it, just stand up. Just go ahead and stand up. I want to pray for you. 
By the end of this service, everybody's, Christ said he's talking to you about Christ-centered plans. Second, maybe this is what God's speaking to you. You got to build your confidence. Like somebody, man, you want to, but you're like, I don't know if I can. I don't know what they're going to think about me. Like, man, you, you got to realize, you got, you're one step away from God's plan in your life. Step out of your insecurities and step into the anointing that God has for you and the calling that God has for you. For some of you, you got to build your confidence right there. Raise your hand. If you got to build your confidence, just stand up right there. Say, God, I need to build my confidence. That's me. I need to build my, Lord, build my confidence and not in me. Let me tell you, Freedom Church, you boast in the Lord. You boast in what he's done. You cannot do much, but God inside of you can do it the third thing you might some of you guys like i need to expand my connections i'm stuck i i need i need to reach out this is what i need to do just raise your hand right there you need to expand your connections i need to reach go ahead and stand up right now i'm going to pray that god just expands your connections this other one is powerful now i need to awaken my curiosity man i have I, I gotta realize i don't know everything about life I don't know everything about parenting or job. I, I just need to learn. I, I want to be around people that can teach me. If that's you, you've got to awaken your curiosity. Just stand up right there. Last one is this. I've got to increase my commitment. That's what I need to do. Raise your hand. I've got to increase my commitment to my family, to God, to everything. See, it's the things no one sees that bring the results that everyone wants. Just raise your hand right there and say, God. I want to live my life to the max. Lord, whatever it is that he's speaking to you, whether it be Christ, your plans, whether it be your confidence, whether it be connections, whether it be your curiosity, whether it be increasing your commitment, say, God, help me. Lord, send the right people into my life. Lord, give me a desire and a hunger to grow and to learn. Lord, help me to be committed because you were committed to me. God, change my plans. God, build my confidence. God, Lord, God, be with your people. Lord, I pray this prayer of faith. Lord, this is my prayer I pray over Freedom Church in 2020. God, that we be a church and that we be a people corporately and individually that Live according to our max. That we max out in every area. That we don't go another year, another day, God. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Freedom Church, those one thing or two things, that's it. Don't try to work on all five. Say, Lord, those are the things you want me to work on. And watch what God will do. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.